This is the GGC Life Podcast. Leo, Christine, thanks for having us back again. Last year was such a highlight for my year. I'm so grateful to be back. All the Nakotra family and all your team, your church, get to hang out with some powerful ministers, meet some new people, and uh, I'm really grateful for it. Leo, I want to build upon um, last night, and we've got another session after this as well, which is awesome. Um, you talked about his word being a blueprint last night, and I'm just shouting out amen to that. We have to build upon this. And, you know, you, you also touched on Reformation last night, Leo, and why, what are we reforming? Reformation, you think of that word, and it, if you think about the definition, we're reforming. What are we reforming? Um, if you didn't hear last night's message, please get it because we're going to build upon that. But Leo, Leo talked about the dark ages. We're in the dark for a while. And a part of the reason it's termed the dark ages is because uh, we were deceived through the religious system of the day that this word was not for the common man like you and I. Only the supreme chosen leaders we're allowed to interpret and tell us what it means, their interpretation. And it was actually frowned upon for anyone to have a Bible. And I know my mum and dad, and in particular my dad, even in more modern times, um, he said he was brought up in, in a Catholic uh, family and he said it was very uncommon. And priests, even in his day in the, in the 70s, and 80s would look down upon anyone that would read the Bible unless they were studied under their system. And so Martin Luther, who did study under their system, he was famous in terms of what we understand now as the Reformation or the Protestant movement. Who's heard the word Protestant before? Who was here last night, by the way? Put your hand up if you were here last night. Awesome. If you weren't, please listen to that message because we're going to build upon it. We're laying the foundation with the fivefold, the apostolic, the understanding of that. But Protestant, um, so we understand, most people would probably understand that we have Catholics and Protestants. Okay, Within the Protestant banner, there's other multiple different denominations. But the word Protestant really means protest. And so during the Dark Ages, there were some people that stood up that studied under the Catholic system. Martin Luther, I'll use his, his life as a case example, very famous. But he recognized that what the religious system was teaching was not actually scriptural. So he was allowed to study the scriptures and he started to look at it and go, hang on a minute. This is not what God is saying. This is not God's heart. In particular, with key things like salvation. You know, that would teach that you, you would pay a certain amount of money to have your sins removed. Like really corrupt, twisted stuff. There's a whole lot of things that were just out of whack. And so Martin Luther really helped birth what we know now as the Reformation movement. We were reforming. We were getting the church back to the purity and as Leo said, the blueprint of the Word of God. There's some things that, even basic things like baptism. 
and our understanding, the church understanding of baptism. And even still today, the, the Roman Catholic Church would have us believe, and if you're Roman Catholic and you're here, by the way, then um, I just want you to know that I work with Roman Catholics, so this is not, um, I'm not having a go at you, and there are awesome born-again believers, and, um, but I'm just picking on a few areas that are, are not scriptural. And to have reformation, we have to speak into it, and we have to challenge one another according to the Word of God. And so water baptism is another example of where some would have us believe that to be baptized, you, you, you become, you're a child, and then there's a little sprinkle of water, and that's a baptism. Now, I would say that's more of a, a dedication, and that's not a bad tradition to want to bring your family to church and dedicate your child unto God. But ultimately, baptism is for someone that's decided that they want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And so to be a child and make that decision, you sort of can, but you really need to be of age to make that decision for yourself where your conscience is fully developed and you know the decision that you're making. But even the Bible gives us the blueprint for baptism and the understanding and the definition of baptism is full immersion. Baptizo, the Greek word, full immersion. It's not a sprinkle of water, it's full immersion. And in fact, John the Baptist would actually travel a distance to ensure that he found enough water to be able to baptize fully and properly. That's how important it was to God because it's symbolic of our life, all of our life being washed away, dead, buried with Christ and coming up with newness of life. And unfortunately today, some of us are just living with the sprinkle of, of Jesus, but he wants us all in, all of our life washed away, come back with newness of life. And so as part of the Reformation, there was much debate, even on a subject like that. And then there's another character called um, John Calvin. And he stood up on Saints' Day, again, challenging the system, the religious system of the day. And he stood up on Saints' Day, and because they would pray to saints, and it even become a form of idolatry, where it was like we idolize Mary and the saints or the, you know, the, uh, the, the apostles that have gone before us. We, we pray to them and idolize them even before Jesus. That's where it was getting to. And so John Calvin stood up and said, and he quoted scripture, reforming, bringing us back, challenging us, getting us back to the word of God. And he said, there is one mediator between man and God, and that's not the Pope. We respect spiritual leaders and we honor them. But they're supposed to point us to Jesus. They're not our mediator. They're not our advocate in the spiritual sense. Our advocate is Jesus. It, the Bible says in 1 John, if you sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ. So John Calvin did a lot of things right. And now we have Protestant, what they would term reformers, that would appreciate the work of John Calvin and even call themselves Calvinists. Has anyone heard of the term Calvinists? So I love what they did. I honor what they did. But here's the thing. The, the Reformation, reforming, shouldn't stop with John Calvin. And it continues today. As long as we're, we're still 
we're still growing in maturity. We don't look like even the, the Book of Acts church yet. So we're, we're reforming, we're getting things back to the blueprint, to the way it's supposed to be. And so the fivefold ministry, I believe God is highlighting that aspect of the Reformation right now in the season. And he wants us and the body of Christ to understand that. I've also discovered it's probably one of the most attacked areas right now. And it's, the attack is actually coming not from the world, but it's coming from our beloved brothers and sisters that were once a part of the Reformation and loved what John Calvin did standing up and bringing us back to the Word of God. But they've stopped there and camped there and now sadly they're attacking the other elements of Reformation that we need. Not all of them, but I can tell you quite a few. I don't know if you've experienced this, but as you continue to lean into this understanding of the fivefold ministry, operate in it, grow in it, you will be religiously attacked for it. So I think that you'll be attacked sometimes by well-meaning people that had just been taught a certain way, that the gifts of the Spirit, the fivefold ministry, those offices have ceased now. Um, they believe that now that we have the Bible, the canon scriptures, the 66 books, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit now. We don't need the fivefold offices or the apostles. We certainly don't need apostles because we have the scriptures now. That's pretty much, honestly, what their story is. So we can find common ground with a cessationist or a Calvinist. Often it's Calvinists that are cessationists. We can find common ground and say, we both believe that the Scriptures, and hopefully all of us here, and Russ will certainly be um, ensuring that we, we're all on the same path here, the scriptures are indeed the perfect word of God, that every scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. God breathed every jot and tittle. It shall not pass away. There's warnings not to change it or take from it. So we can find common ground there, and then we really do need to be able to give an answer for why we believe what we believe. So that's why these settings and these conferences are so important. That's why I was making so many notes last night, because... Not only do we want to see the correct blueprint in our ministries and churches, but we also want to be able to help others that have been taught wrong or that haven't continued on that Reformation journey. They stopped with one mediator between man and God or stopped with the understanding of water baptism or understanding of biblical presbytery or whatever it might be. They stopped there and haven't gone on to understand the importance of the fivefold ministry. And if you think about it, of course the enemy's going to try and kick against that because that's what brings maturity to the church. Because the enemy hates the idea of Christ being in all of us and all of us getting that revelation because that's the sort of army that God needs in this end time move. If we're going to see the billion soul harvest, it can't be anymore just one man on a platform. He can only do so much. Even Jesus, I believe one of the reasons that he said you'll see greater things 
than what you've seen in my ministry in the 33 years. And in fact, it was only three years of public ministry. I believe that one of the reasons that he said you'll see greater things is because even Jesus, as fully man and fully God, he could only do so much in his flesh during three years. And it was phenomenal what he was able to do. And in fact, the Bible says that if there wouldn't be enough pages to contain all the marvelous works and things that Jesus did, but still yet he's limited. And so that's why not only was his mission to get to the cross, break down that wall that separated man to get us back into relationship, to give us eternal life, all of those elements to the glorious gospel. But it was also to show us the system of discipleship, the apostolic system of discipleship. And so he took 12 with him. We know there were other disciples as well, the 70 that he sent out. And there were often multitudes, thousands of people, but he had 12 that were close to him. And there was three years of intense discipleship. And I often get asked the question when, when talking about, particularly about the apostolic, how do you know you're an apostle? Um, if I know that I'm called to that, how do I become an apostle? And really, it's all laid out so clearly here. But I think that case example of Jesus and the 12, we shouldn't be drifting too far from that. If you're called to a five-fold office, if you believe you're called to be an apostle or any of those other um, gifts, then you need to engage in a discipleship process. It's important that you get plugged in to a local church and it's important that maybe you're in leadership already, but that you make steps to really yield yourself and really, it's a form of humility to come under a leader and to be discipled and say, I want my life to be transparent. I want to learn scripturally, but also I want to learn practically because Jesus was all about, the Jesus Supernatural School was all about the Word and the Spirit. There was demonstration. There was opportunity. That's what I love about your school and everything that you guys have been doing. It's so important that we set and create spaces for that. Discipleship is so important. And my heart in the apostolic is always discipleship. It's like, yes, we want to win the loss, but it's got to be about discipleship as well. Did you know that the word Christian is a great term that is an accurate term that describes us as believers, but that word can kind of get bandied around a little bit, can't it? Like a lot of people profess to be a Christian, but don't really understand what it is to be a Christian. Biblically speaking, that word is only used, I think, three or four times in the New Testament. You can study that out for yourself. It's not a wrong word, like Christ one, where anoint, believers are anointed and we're Christians. And I use that term to describe myself, but Biblically speaking, to understand who we are and how we're supposed to live, a more accurate term to describe us should be disciple. And if you look at the Bible, you'll see that the word disciples used, depending on your translation, around 250 plus times. So what's the difference between a professing Christian and a disciple? Well, have a think about the word disciple, and immediately my mind goes to the word discipline. If we want to become everything that God's calling us to be. We can't just be a wandering Christian. 
We have to get planted, discipled, allow God to discipline us, correct us, grow us uh, into maturity. Otherwise, he's never going to entrust us to step into that ultimate purpose that he has for you. There's a process. And sometimes, if, particularly if you've got a, a big call on your life, sometimes the process is years and years and years. It doesn't have to be that long. I believe that three-year period, if someone is fully going for it 100%, I believe three years is a good amount of time. But sometimes God will take us a long way because character is something that he can't just drop on you. Character is formed. And it's often formed through hard times, through pressure, through struggles, through tribulation, through persecution, through uh, potential offense. And a lot of people start the journey and then they abort it because they got offended or something happened. But they didn't realize God's actually using that temptation to be offended to see how you'll handle it, to see if you'll be entrusted with the call in your life. He doesn't want you to keep being offended and go around the mountain for 40 years like they did in the Exodus. Amen? So discipleship is uh, very, very, very important. And if I look at my life, the last 10 years I've been operating in the apostolic, but I've been saved for 20 years. The first 10 years was discipleship. It was growing into the apostolic. Maybe it should have been three years and maybe I was a little bit stubborn and God had to mold me and shape me for another seven years, but I'm glad he did. But the first 10 years, if I look back, I'm like, I didn't know that I was called into the apostolic. All I knew when I got born again was that I loved the church. I knew that I loved the church. When I got saved, actually, God spoke to me. It wasn't audible, but it felt like it was audible. It was like on the inside when I got saved. And he said, if you're ever going to get out of this, and he was referring to my life of sin, like gross sin. And he said, if you're ever going to get out of this, you, he, didn't say, he didn't even say you need to come to me. You know what he said? You need to go back to church. That was the language he used for me. And then when I responded to that finally and was in church, I encountered him. And then when I encountered him, I got delivered and set free. I immediately fell in love with the church. Previous to that encounter, I had all sorts of mindsets about the church. Because there's all sorts of rubbish that the enemy loves to feed the world about the church. And people have opinions about the church. But when I had an encounter with love, with God himself, I fell in love with the church. And that makes sense because he's the head of the church and the church is his body. So if you don't love the church, there's probably something wrong in your heart. The church is not perfect because we're involved. <laughs> but we should never give up on the church. Jesus didn't give up on the church. He corrected the church, but he didn't give up on it. Paul, all of these people, there were things that were out of whack in certain points. And he, Paul even said to the Corinthian church, he said, there's sin amongst you that's not even heard of amongst the heathen. But he didn't say, you're, you're a compromised church. I'm not even worrying about you. He loved them and he cared for them. And that should be our heart for every church, amen? No matter where they're at, what they're going through, we can never give up on the church. We love it. 
So if I look at my life, I know that I love the church, but it was interesting, Leo, I don't know if, if this was the same for you, but God took me through a process of understanding the different aspects of church. And so at first, people told me, you must be an evangelist, because I just couldn't stop preaching the gospel. I'm out on the streets, because like, I, I didn't get an opportunity to stand behind this, because I'm just a young, green Christian still learning, and I thought, I'm going to come to church awesome, but I want to bring everyone into this place. So every day, I'm out on the streets. And so people said, you're an evangelist. And so for a while there, I thought, maybe I'm an evangelist. And then there was a season where God led me to be in a home group that I didn't want to be in, but he spoke really clear. He said, you need to go to that home group. And there was a prophet that was leading that home group. And so I didn't really sort of think about prophecy too much, a little bit on the streets, but it was more just about the gospel. But then I went through a season where there was an emphasis. God was teaching me about the prophetic. And so I'd be learning the prophetic and practicing the prophetic and starting to get strong in the prophetic under a prophet. And some people started to say, you must be a prophet because you're prophesying a lot. And so I was still learning who I was. I didn't know who I was. All I knew was I'm just a Christian. And I just sort of kept it real simple. I just want to look like Jesus. And then it was the same with the teacher anointing. I just, there was a season where I just started to labor in the Word and, and I really wanted to understand apologetics and doctrine. And, and I was just hours and hours and hours in the Word. And the same with um, the pastor. Then I, I was given an opportunity as part of my discipleship to lead a small group, a Bible study group. And there I learned I had a heart for really nurturing people. I realized we can't just be preaching the gospel on the streets or wherever we are um, and not having a place where they can have family, have connection. So I started to learn the importance of the pastoral. And so for 10 years, if I look back in hindsight, I can see God teaching me all these different elements to prepare me for the apostolic. So I think um, there are people in here, and you might not know what your call is yet, and that's okay. In the next session, I want to bring some scriptural understanding and bring some case studies scripturally about how do I know that I'm called to a particular office, and in particular, I'm going to use the apostle as, um, as the example, but we can apply the same principles to the other aspects in the next um, session. Does that sound all right? Awesome. Let's all stand to our feet. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing this morning. I thank you for the freedom that was released. I thank you for the, the praise that's in our heart that was released, the, the, the demonic torment that was broken this morning, Father, the the weighty presence and the freedom that was released, that you're setting things up. I thank you for last night laying the foundation with the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the importance of the fivefold ministry, Father. And I thank you for this morning's session and this next session, Lord God. I just pray our hearts continue to be open. And Lord God, I pray there'd be an impartation that some things would be taught um, this morning and today and even over this whole week. But other things would be just supernaturally caught. There'd be a, even without necessarily laying of hands, but just there'd be a stirring in our hearts for the different aspects. And there, if, if there's certain areas that we're called to, there'd, there'd be a fanning into flame, Lord God, which stir up that gift in us, Lord God. This would be an opportunity to stir up that gift, to, to uh, not be distracted. For some of us, there's going to be pruning, like there's areas that we're getting into that aren't our field. And God wants to... Um, uh, get us focused. I really believe a part of what we're doing right now is 
focusing. We can't all do everything. We're all, but if we, work, we find our rightful place, God um, will be most effective and amazingly effective for his glory. So I believe focus is a big part of it. So there'll be an impartation and a clarity about where to focus, what to focus in this current season that we're in, in our discipleship, that we wouldn't just be Christians that attend, but we'd be wholehearted followers, disciples of Jesus, Lord God, for your glory, for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.